What is going on, Trash Talkers? We are back with another episode for you. Today, we are going to break down everything that took place at UFC 251, including Max Holloway being robbed of the title and the Usman Masvidal fight, whether it lived up to the hype or not. Next, Washington owner uh, Daniel Snyder has officially announced that the Redskins franchise uh, will be retired and will be renamed prior to this new season starting. Uh, we're going to go over what names that they should uh, start thinking about and what, what we believe the, would fit best for the Washington franchise. Uh, finally, the NBA season is right around the corner, and the uh, Lakers have found themselves in a precarious situation with both starting guards, Avery Bradley and Rajon Rondo, not being able to go. We're going to debate whether or not the Lakers should still be considered favorites to move forward in the West. All that and much more coming your way right now. All right, Nick, how was your week? How was your weekend? How was UFC 251? Hey, for me, 251 lived up to the hype. Sure. And we'll, we'll, we'll get into that in a sec, but I love two, UFC 251. I thought it was great. You know, it, it, it definitely uh, was one to remember whether uh, you like it or not, uh, but we'll get into that. Uh, I'm excited to, to, to get right into that because... I'm I'm ready to quiet the haters. All right, I'm I'm done with all the BS that people are talking about on the internet. Uh, I you know th this was just um, it, it's appalling to see people bash fighters who are in a cage um, fighting for their lives. And uh, you know, uh, well, let's let's just get into it. Let's break it down. But uh, I, I I think we should just start off with the the beginning of the the main event card. Um, Amanda Hibas versus uh, Paige Van Zandt. You know, that that well, arm bar. That was, that was quick. That Two was minutes, insane. 21 Two, seconds. Was it 221? 221, yeah. 221. It, it, Amanda Hibas, she just, you know, she really just came onto the scene. Uh, she she is definitely going to be uh, something special in the UFC. And uh, she said after her fight that she's uh, she's more of a strawweight. So she's going to be uh, fighting against Rosnama Yunus, Jessica Andraj, Weili Zhang. You know, she's going to put on some shows the, the strawweight division and the women's uh the women's strawweight division is really going to be great uh so that's something to look out for but she absolutely obliterated Paige Van Zandt just completely controlled her for sure um I honestly going into that fight I didn't know much about Amanda Hebos um I, honestly I didn't even know how to say her name properly so <laughs> I mean that that should tell you everything you need to know but uh she showed me she woke us up she woke up the world I mean if you're gonna do it what better stage to do it on Fight Island on the main card when all eyes are watching no other sports are happening you are everything that everybody's fixating on and this is the time to make your noise make your name and I think she did exactly what she needed to do I mean I not for anything they're they're completely separate people but I saw a little flashes of uh uh who's the woman who went into wwe i keep forgetting her name ronda rousey yeah ronda rousey i mean just the way she was able to finish the fight on her terms and just absolutely dominate from start to finish it, oh yeah th there was... is literally nothing that that uh Paige Van Sant could have done in that fight. Uh, she couldn't have prepared for exactly what happened. It almost, and, and here's another thing. Uh, it looked like what Conor McGregor did uh, to Cowboy Cerrone when, when they fought earlier in the year, you know, where he just absolutely came out and just dominated. He had his plan. He executed it to perfection. Amanda Hebos did the same thing. She had her plan. She executed to perfection. And there's nothing else that really can be said about that fight. Two, she she had Paige Vance in it down in 221 in that armbar. And 
Uh, yeah, that's no, just she, incredible. Yeah, she's clearly way above Paige Franzant. And you know, this was a huge statement because Paige Franzant leading up to it was saying, hey, I'm going to test for agency uh, no matter what happens. And so you know, this was a huge fight for her. She really had to win if she wanted to have a true uh, market uh, it, you know, moving forward. Right. Now, now, you know, Paige Van Zandt, you know, who really wants to sign her? Who, who, it, it seems like there's a lot of uh, bad blood between her and Dana White right now because of all the t- stuff she's been saying. And, you know, Amanda Hebas came right in and uh, did what she needed to do. She, she proved that she is so much better than, than this mediocre competition that we like to call Paige Van Zandt. So I, I, I think that we, we really need to be looking out for Amanda Hebas. She didn't take any damage, so she's going to be in the back in the octagon in, in a few months. Right, uh, and and I think she's going to be like Peter Young, where she's just going to rise up the ranks really quickly. I think she's going to be in those championship fights in the next year, year and a half, for sure. So I, I, I'm really looking uh, looking forward to that. One hundred percent, and I mean that that got everybody hyped up. I mean that was the the beginning of the night. That was the absolute oh, yeah. first fight, and you know, I mean, what what better to go from a two minute and 21 second fight of Amanda Hebas to the, uh, basically the, one of the fights that everybody was anticipating for a while, Rose Namajunas versus Jessica Andrade. And that was that, I mean, that fight lived up to its name as well. I mean, that, that fight went the distance. They, Mm -hmm. they both fighters put everything they had out on the line and uh, there was nothing more, uh, that we, we as fans could have asked for from that specific fight um, because it was it was a basic street brawl. I mean, they they put every physical ounce of their bodies out on the line, and they were able like you know you talk about how Amanda Hebas didn't take any damage. Both those fighters, I mean, they are they're going to be sitting pretty for a little bit because they they need to rest up for sure. But, uh, oh, yeah. you know, oh, yeah. uh, Rose Namajunas, I mean, coming out on top was, was an absolute... Um, I, I, I agreed with the with the judges' scoring, and, I, you know, I was very happy to see her win. I thought she won the fight, um, and, I you know, overall, I think it, it was a, a great showing for the women's division all around. Yeah, I mean, it was it was definitely a close fight, and, and I, mean, I believe it was a split decision. So, it, you know, it, it was a true battle between these two strikers. And Rosa Mayunas, I think, has uh, the edge on Jessica Andrade when it comes to grappling. Uh, we saw that in the first uh, fight uh, with them last year. But, you know, with the coronavirus, uh, Rosa Mayunas couldn't be in her gym in Colorado uh, training with Trevor Whitman. So her and her fiancé, Pat Barry, who's one of the best kickboxers of all time, they went back home to Minnesota and they just worked together, and she worked on her kickboxing, and that that came in handy. You know that that's exactly what she did. That was the entire game plan was to stand up and fight. And it was there. There really was no uh, grappling. There was no ground and pound, and you know all that work that she put in after a fourteen month layoff. You know she she looked great after the first five minutes. She, you know there was a little ring rust. Uh, that she had to knock off in the first round, but she looked back to form in the second round, and that's when she really kicked in. And I think she she really took over in the second and third round. That that's really what helped her. And and she just you know now we now we're uh, tied up. We got a one one in this uh, uh, fight between Andrade and Nami Yunus. I would love to see this uh, you know happen again. Get a trilogy fight in here, and uh, hopefully 
by the time that happens, you know, we'll see uh, one of these ladies having the, the belt around their waist. So uh, it'll be even higher stakes. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, you couldn't ask for two different of people to be able to uh, fight in the same division uh, or in the same uh, weight class. I mean, you think about it, Jessica Andrade, she was down, what, five inches and she was much stockier mm-hmm. build and, you know, she's got a lower center of gravity and, uh, you know, she, you look at just the her physique, she's got a very strong base to her and Rose Namajunas, is, she's very tall, she's very lanky. That's why the grappling works for her because she's so tall for that, for that division. Um, now that she has that in her arsenal, I think that makes her ten times as more lethal as she was heading into this fight. As she continues to work on the kickboxing, continues to working on the on the hand to hand combat, I think she's going to be a force to be reckoned with uh, throughout the strawweight division. Absolutely, yeah. This is uh, this is great for the the strawweight division. Uh, it just I, I think this now becomes with uh, Amanda Hibas here and Rose back. I think the strawweight division becomes the strongest women's uh, weight class in the UFC, uh, and, and I really can't wait to see um, what else you know who else comes comes into this. Uh, I think this is this is great, especially now when all the focus is on th- these events, these UFC events. I think this is great for young up and coming women who want to get into the sport. Uh, you know, I mean, you don't even have to be young. You know, there, there's a lot of people coming into the sport in their 30s and, and uh, succeeding. So you know, all these people that that are watching the sport, it's going to get more attention uh, from women uh, in, in all sports and uh, get their attention. Uh, I think it's just going to propel the sport even more in, in the coming years. So that that that's great for the sport. It's great for the the women's division. Uh, you know, th- this is overall just a fantastic fight, and it was fight of the night. You know, it lived up to it. You know, we we saw the battle scars on uh, Rose Namajunas. <laughs> that was quite broken. the shiner she was rocking under her eye. I the mean, shiner, the yeah. the broken nose. It was uh, it w- it was uh, she definitely got her war war scars. Um, but you know, she got the win, and and it was great. But uh, I think the uh, another huge fight was right after that. Peter Yan versus Jose Aldo. That was pretty huge. Um, you know, this is a big fight for Pewter because he, he's, uh, you know, a little less than two years into the UFC and he's already fighting for the belt. And a lot of, there's a lot of criticism because the UFC is just promoting him left and right. But you, we, we saw in this fight, I think, that he deserved to be there. He went up against one of the best featherweights of all time and, and you know, Jose Aldo, who, who said he feels even better at Bantamweight than he, than he ever did at featherweight. And, you know, we saw the Jose Evald who, who used his, uh, his light kicks uh, to, to help him, which is, you know, his trademark. That's what he, how he became so successful is with those light kicks. And Peter Jan was able to, uh, you know, counter them. He was able to, to just handle them perfectly. And then we saw in that fifth round, he absolutely came alive and just put, you know, just went after Jose Alto, got him down on the ground, and then the the beatdown ensued after it, what looked to be a shattered nose. <laughs> yeah. um, but I think the the true uh, story that needs to come out of this is the, the referees need to act a lot quicker in those situations. When a, when a fighter is not intelligently defending themselves, you need to be get in there and save them from themselves. Jose Aldo is not a guy who's, who's going to tap. He's not going to give up. He's going to just ride it out and... You have to, as the ref, you need to be there uh, for him when he's not there for himself. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. You can't. 
that that fight could have stop, been stopped 30 seconds earlier and and the ref you know jose would make a, a flinch and he would like reset his clock and it, it, it was just poor judgment you know i i just don't want to see that happen especially to a guy like jose aldo who he's only 33 years old but he's got a lot of uh damage that he's taken over his career he's been in the sport for over a decade and you know he he's uh you know it wears on you he may be 33 but he's you know got the body of a 55 year old right you know it it, it it takes a lot of damage in you and uh he i think he's at the point where it you know it, it's tough for him to keep up with the younger guys not saying he he can't win it, the belt any longer but you know it, he he's got to uh reevaluate and uh i think this is going to be a little bit of a wake-up call for him since he, he he lost his last fight last two fights in featherweight division came over to bantamweight just lost against marlon morice and now he lost to pewter Jan. so yeah. it it's uh it's kind of a wake-up call for him and we'll have to see what happens with jose aldo but Hats off to Peter Jan. I think he is the the face of the division for now. Uh, he's he's got a lot of competition ahead of him because the bantamweight class is one of the most stacked divisions in the sport. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm gonna keep it brief because I think you you know talked it in detail. But um, yeah, Peter Jan is somebody that everybody needs to pay attention pay attention to. And obviously, this was a title fight because. We're, we're, we're missing who the actual champion is. And um, I would like to see Henry Cejudo versus Pewter Jan at some point. I think that would be an incredible well, fight. And I, you, might, you might get it because right after the fight, Henry Cejudo was on Twitter calling out uh, Pewter Jan saying, you know, you, you know, you're trash. You know, I could, I could beat you. You're going to bend the knee to the triple C. You know, he's, he's doing his marketing, his uh, promotions. Yeah, uh, but try- that all comes down to Dana White being able to pay somebody that's in a bant- in the bantamweight uh, class. I mean, right. you you talk about some of these things that are are happening uh, with the these smaller guys. Um, you know, they, it, it's tough for the UFC, and if you look back at their track record. Dana White has notoriously not paid attention to the smaller guys, and I think that's why we we find ourselves not really understanding or uh, knowing who everyone is in, in those divisions. And um, I think at this point, we've had our wake-up calls. Henry Cejudo knocked our blocks off and showed us exactly what he's able to do in the in that division. Now you have Pewter Jan, who is 15-1 and one in his entire MMA career, two years into his UFC t- uh, time. Um, just t- took down Jose Aldo. I I think at this point, you know, you need to create a at least a, at minimum a co-main event for these two to fight for the title. Uh, Cejudo, who gave up the title to retire, uh, I believe as something to do with the fact that he wants more money from Dana and from UFC. But he also seemed to be pretty happy with his retirement. So if if this is if this is something he wants to do, then it might not be a title fight. Um, I I don't know. I I think Dana has to really put into some uh, put some thought into the fact that uh, he might want to keep Cejudo around to to keep maybe a a possible trilogy trilogy fight between these two because this that would be an incredible series to watch over over the next couple of years. Yeah, I mean it, it's quite stunning to think that Henry Cejudo. Uh, to Dana White is not a marketable guy. This is a guy who talks a lot of crap all the time. He he gets in your face. He'll 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 say what he has to, and I I just don't understand what else a guy needs to do to be marketable. 
He's just so, standing I, there like this. Like, I mean, the, you know, <laughs> the, the, the man is, he's ready. He wants to be the face of the division, and he just needs Dana yeah, I mean, White to believe in him. He's one of the best pound-for-pound fighters in the, in the UFC, and, you know, a lot of people realize that, but for some reason they don't think that they the casual fans are going to uh you know buy pay-per-views to watch him which is just completely ridiculous because he is one of the most exciting fighters there is uh, so yeah, and him against Peter Jan would just be an absolute show to watch that would, that would just that I think that could be fight of the year no matter what year it is no matter what else happens you know th- those two are just going to put on an absolute show and uh I would love to watch them go five rounds. Yeah, I think that'd be an incredible fight, and I, you know, I I think Dana realizes that if he can, if he can try to sculpt more people into this division and start making a name for it, I think that uh, you know there's a chance that Henry Cejudo becomes a a, a much more marketable uh, asset to the UFC um, at that point in time because then then not only does he have the name recognition, but so do his. Uh, counterparts that he'll be fighting against, and I think that that is a main goal for the UFC. Is that not only you know is the champion somebody that everybody knows, but who they're fighting is needs to be known as well. Uh, I think this is the time that Dana needs to focus on those people, the 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 yawns of the world, if you will, um, to to bring them up to speed, up to snuff, and then watch Cejudo you know, take care of his business and, you know, who knows? I mean, the, the victory is not guaranteed to him. So, you know, he, he could lose. And then, you know, then we really have to start paying attention to Jan at that point. But uh, that's a conversation for another time. I, mm-hmm. I, I think that, um, what Jan was able to do with the, with the, uh, TKO on Jose Aldo was just, uh, it, it was eye opening for sure. Cause I haven't seen Jan fight. Um, this was my first uh, introduction to him. I think it's most people's introduction to uh, Peter Jan, and uh, he, you know, he's got he caught my attention for sure. Absolutely. Now the fight after this, the co-main event, Alexander Volkanovsky versus Max Holloway. This was interesting to say the least. This was by far the most controversial fight of the the night. Uh, and it's still a huge debate, uh, you know, a few days later. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll let you give your take first. You know, w- what did you think of Volkanovski getting the split decision win to retain the belt over Max Holloway? Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty simple in my eyes. It, the, the fight was an absolute uh, back-and-forth brawl between the two. I mean, they gave everything that they had. Those two, uh, both Volkanovski and Holloway, are incredible fighters. They did ev- everything that they set out to do, and they both did it to the best of their ability, which is why there was so much controversy, because both of them, uh, nobody was able to, nobody went down, nobody was, um, you know, like, you know, giving giving an inch, if you will, right? Nobody was giving up uh, any any space to the other. I think... Here's here are the the two things that stand out in my mind. Volkanovski took Holloway to the to the mat three different times. Holloway took him down zero times. Okay. Um, and then I think that when you are in a championship fight, you have to show if it's going to come down to the scoring and the decision. I think you have to show the judges exactly that you are worth the 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 handoff. You are worth them deciding that 
Volkanovski in this case is no longer worthy of the championship and that you are now going to be recognized as the, as the champion. And if they're tied at this point, you have to give it to the champion. The championship scoring is completely different than, than every other UFC fight because when you have a championship on the line, you have to make sure that that champion can, can actually, um, represent the division and represent in the fight. If they get, if they, handed off the the belt to Holloway in his next fight he gets obliterated by somebody else how does that look for the decision how does that look for the UFC and and the division itself it it just looks terrible but if but if Volkanovski held on to this and and he's able to even if he loses then he was able to successfully defend his title and has proven his worth so i think from the UFC standpoint they needed to make Volkanovski the winner and Holloway you know at this point, he just didn't show us enough that he need, he should have gotten the scoring ahead of uh, Volkanovski. Well, I mean, I just want to f- start off by saying if Max Holloway won, he's not getting obliterated by anybody. He's the consensus greatest featherweight of all time. This guy is an absolute stud. He, he's been in eight championship fights and, you know, won just about all of them. You know, he's just had a little bit of trouble with, with Volkanovski and the two fights they've had have been decisions and the last one being a split decision and it came down to you know it hairs you know it was you know razor thin but you know going back to the beginning of the fight max didn't get any takedowns but he got two knockdowns which are huge he got the heat the leg kick to the head uh and in the first round that dropped volkanovsky and then he got the the combination in the second round that dropped him again and you know, those, those are huge takedowns. And, you know, no one's really criticizing that, uh, you know, Holloway, you know, he, he clearly won the first two rounds. And then on the flip side, Volkanovski took over in the championship rounds and won rounds four and five. And the real, you know, question is, who won round three? And if you look at it, Max Holloway, he outperformed him in total strikes. He had the higher amount of significant strikes. You know, th- when a lot of judges look at the the fight and who won that they're really looking at the numbers they're they're looking at what happened and max holloway you know he he had the the numbers in his favor he controlled the ring i you know what else he he didn't get taken down in the third round i don't know yeah yeah volkanovsky landed a few shots but max landed his shots as well you know you have to you have to take that into consideration It, it gets to a numbers game and you you really have to to you know, Max Holloway, I don't know what else he, he could have done besides, you know, take, get a takedown. A takedown probably would have solidified him winning the third round. But, you know, I, I think that he, he did show enough to get the get the win in the third round and, and uh, get the overall 3-2 to two victory. I, I disagree. I, I, I don't, if you're letting it go to a judge's decision, you have to show them that you are worthy of them giving – giving you they're, more points to the take judges, over the championship. The judges don't they're not looking at a championship. It's just a straight up fight. You're there's you don't That's not tr- true. You, you do not judge things differently because they're a championship fight. You there absolutely are set do. No, there are set rules in place. You need to follow the rules. This you you there's no bias in this. You 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 look at the 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 rules and you follow them and you judge accordingly. You know these judges need to have more of a, a background in MMA. They need to understand what they're judging. You can't just be 
some Joe Schmo taken off the street just because you know somebody and and you're you know given the chance to judge a, a championship fight on the biggest stage. That's just that's not how this works. You need to understand what's going on and and if they really knew what they were doing, they would have seen that Max Holloway won that round. I, I it for me it wasn't about the the round by round. I mean, you can say he won the round, but in overall points, when when you're talking about who, well, that's won really the, what matters is the third round. It was no, two, you that's know. in your opinion, right? You're you're talking about Hol- your Holloway opinion. clearly won the first two, and Volkanovski won the last two. But the, again, so, that's your opinion. You're not a judge. You weren't there scoring it. They are scoring based on certain things. So what you did? Deduct- then that, okay, then let's go look at all the other UFC fighters who were teeing off on Twitter saying that Max Holloway won that fight. All of them who are professional fighters, who who know what they're they're judging, just ninety nine percent of them said that Max won that fight. Right, and I sat there. As right after it finished, and I said Volkanovski won that fight. He didn't like because Holloway showed no. He showed nothing to me that said by going to decision he should have won that fight. That like he needed to do something that that truly like put him ahead of Volkanovski. If you're putting them on the same, uh, say they're tied. It, it, the upper hand just goes to Volkanovski at that point because he already has the title. That is that is how fighting and uh, all sports basically go. If if you have if you're tied with someone, whoever had the upper hand coming in is going to get the benefit of the doubt, and and that was Volkanovski coming in with the title. Yeah, I think that's where the difference is. You think it was a tie? I think Max clearly came out on top in the third round. He he had the numbers. He he. He had the ring controlled. He he did what he had to do to to win that round, and everybody, just about everybody, saw that except for these two judges that that wanted to rule in Volkanovski's favor. And you're talking about two out of three. I mean that that's you're not just saying you know just two judges. It's two out of a possible three. So only one judge saw it as you did, and that's why Volkanovski is retaining the title. And that's why I'm saying that these judges need to have better credentials than, you know, oh, you uh, you judged a boxing fight, or you you uh, you used to do amateur wrestling, uh, back in the day. You know that that doesn't qualify you. You need, you know, you know, fighters. You need someone who's been in the sport, who knows what they're they're looking at, and, and knows how to judge this properly. You can't three judges is, is not enough to to properly decide who's winning a fight. That's just there, there's a lot of room for error, and we've seen that a lot in, in the the recent uh, recently. So I, I think that this, this is just another case of that, and the UFC has a real issue that they need to work out. I mean yeah. that that's a possibility, and maybe maybe Dana White takes it under consideration, uh, seeing what he saw. But I'm telling you right now, I sat there on Saturday night or Sunday morning uh, when it fu- when it finished, and I said to myself, Volkanovski retained the title. I just it, there wasn't a doubt in my mind because I the way I scored it in my head was that it they were they were tied, they were even. There was there was no give and take. There was there was just nothing that projected Holloway over over Volkanovski and even if I go back and look at it again I'm sure I'll come to the same same result um it, it that's just me but at at this point I think that the the main takeaway and the thing that'll cheer everyone up is that we'll get to see a third fight 
I don't think so. I, I think I we will. Think so. I think we will because you they both went to split decision. And I mean you Well the first the first one was unanimous. Or okay. They both went to decision, period. Um the the fact remains that, you know, Holloway is going to want a rematch at some point. And and it was very entertaining. No matter how controversial the ending was, you can't tell me that the fight wasn't as entertaining as it was set out to be. And, it, you know, oh. at that point, there's no reason that Dana White shouldn't want to try to get another fight in there because at this point, I mean, who who's Volkanovski's, uh, you know, number one contender outside of Holloway at this point? Uh, this is, I to me personally... The featherweight division is the most stacked division in the UFC. Dana White wants to keep saying the bantamweight division is. There's so much more talent in the featherweight division, and we're about to get another fight tomorrow night, Calvin Cater versus Dan Ige. That is going to be, I think, could be the fight of the year. Um, the, these two are absolute monsters. They're going to have a huge slugfest. Uh, you know, the, the, and they're, they're the number six and number ten ranked uh, featherweight in the, in the world. You know that there are so many people ahead of them. There's so many people that that are gonna get in between Volkanovski and Holloway, and I think that's why we're not gonna see one at least for a while. And Dana White's rule anyway is if you fight twice and you lose both of them, we're not gonna see a third one. No, you know, pretty much no matter how close it is, because you know you you've lost. At the end of the day, you lost twice. There's no point in seeing a third fight. There might be um, a special case. This might be a special case, but I think we're not going to see these two fight for at least another year or two. I, I could see it happening, and even if it, even if Volkanovski doesn't retain the title, I think these three could these two sorry could end up fighting again. Uh, just the two. It's to it's se- possible, just but there are all. there are other contenders in this division that are uh, they're ready. And they are, it, their time is due. You know, they're, they need to be given the opportunity. You know, we're looking at, um, you know, the Korean monster, uh, the Korean zombie. We're looking at uh, Zabit. I'm not even going to try to pronounce his last name. Um, also out of Dagestan, who is undefeated in his MMA career. And once he does get the championship, you know, uh, you know he's going to hold on to it. Zabit is one of the best featherweights currently. And, uh, you know, it, the, the list goes on and on. You know, there's so many featherweights. Uh, so there's there's a lot of competition that Volkanovski has to handle and Max Holloway has to go through in order to get back to the top. So the, the, there's a lot to work through, and it's going to take some time. These things just don't happen overnight. These fighters, they just want five full rounds. They got to recover, and they got to figure out what's next. Um, you know, right now, it's uh, they're, they're still recovering so it's it's going to be some time but you know i think that we uh moving on to the the main event jorge masivo versus kamaru usman this is the fight that was the draw for a lot of people but i will say again that you know i i called this fight exactly how it was going to be and i told everybody this is going to be a boring fight this is not going to be fun to watch. If you're not a fan of the UFC or MMA, if you are a casual fan, then this is not for you. You don't buy this if it's not for you. And what I don't understand is when people got the result, they were pissed. They were like, oh, my God, this is boring. You know, He's foot stomping. He's holding him up against the cage. This is stupid. If you're paying $65 to watch a fight, 
understand what you're buying. Understand what you're paying for. That's not, uh, no, that's a good amount of money to most people. So understand what you're paying for before you do it. Uh, you know, and you won't waste your money. If anybody saw these two, if you've ever seen Kamaru Usman fight before, this is pretty much the result you're going to get, unless you're looking at Colby Covington, uh, you know, last December where where they they got into a huge striking match. This is that's not what Kamaru Usman's going to do, especially if you look at the the you know what what happened. These two just learned six days ago that they're fighting each other. So Kamaru Usman didn't really prepare for Jorge Masvidal. He's going to. Go back to his his wrestling. He's one of the best wrestlers in the sport. He's going to use his wrestling to his advantage. Where Jorge Masvidal isn't as strong. He's going to try to 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 strike with him. You know that that's just his background. And so that that's the exact result we got was Kamara Usman just work, working him up against the cage, taking him down, and that that was the entire thing. Now we did see uh, some positives from Jorge Masvidal. You know we, we saw him. Uh, stuff most of the the takedown attempts by Kamara Usman. We saw that, you know, maybe he actually was training more than we, you know, more than a lot of people thought he was. You know, because uh, even Dustin Poirier, who uh, is there at American Top Team with him, said that there were high level wrestlers coming in to spar with Jorge Masvidal months ago, before you know this was ever uh, you know a thing. Because right after Jorge Masvidal beat Nate Diaz last December. This was the talk. Everybody thought this was going to be the next fight, and then Jorge Masvidal couldn't come to uh, an agreement uh, with the UFC on a contract, and so they moved on from him. But in that meantime, Jorge Masvidal knew that Kamar Usman was right around the corner, so he's going to start getting ready for him now. You know, so he 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 had an idea of what to do, and and, and uh, had had a good amount of uh, practice uh, learning how to how to combat the the wrestling of Kamar Usman. So. You know, th- this was going to be, uh, no matter what, it was going to be a boring fight, you know, as most people want to call it, because they they still didn't understand each other. They they didn't know each other, and they didn't have much time to to really train for each other. <clears throat> yeah, I'm so, I'm gonna just jump in. You know, I watched all these fights, and I, I thought um, most of them were great this was the one I didn't. And I, you know, I listened to you and I I heard that you said that it was going to be a boring fight and that's exactly what it was. And I I understand uh, people, I mean, think about it this way. This is how I I think about it. We think of Floyd Mayweather as one of the best pound-for-pound boxers in boxing history, right? He was yeah. not entertaining at all to watch in the ring. All he did was duck, dodge, and dive away from punches. He won on technical points, and that, that was his stru- strategy. He was not fun to watch at all. Outside the ring, leading up to everything, he was great, just like Usman. He knows how to market himself. He knows how to put on a show outside of the outside of the octagon. But when it came time to, to actually you know put on a show inside... He just did exactly what he needed to, to to retain the title. And I think that's what people don't understand, and that's what people aren't, un, uh, like, truly getting, is that you're watching somebody who understands the fundamentals of the fight and how to win, and, th- and that's what you want. And I understand that, you know, you're looking at 2 o'clock in the morning uh, after watching, and, and, I mean, look at the fights that we just talked about. 
the Hibos uh, fight started it all off. Then the the actual uh, street fight between Nama Yunus and Andraj, the Jan Aldo fight that went almost the distance but ended with a TKO, and then the controversy of uh, the Volkanovski Holloway fight, which was absolutely incredible to watch. You're you're so pumped up, your adrenaline is going, and to have this be the end of the night. This is where everybody finishes. I think that's where you're seeing a lot more uh, letdown right now because everybody was building up this that this intent, you know, incredible adrenaline for the fight, and it like we knew going in that this was going to be what it was, and um, it lived up to exactly how you said. I think when you talk about people knowing what they buy, that's that's fair, but at the same time, they got. I mean, they got their money's worth with every other single fight that was on the card. So it's not just, they're not just buying one fight, they're buying the entire card. And, you know, for me to say that this was a boring fight, I think is true. I think it was very boring. It was tough to watch, in all honesty. I don't want to watch 75 foot strikes. I I just don't. But I wanted to see the whole card, and I got to see the whole card, and I, I... I think overall it was a great card, and I, I would watch it again if I had the opportunity. But to say that this wasn't a boring fight or that people need to uh, you know refocus their energy on, on something else, is I, I think that's a, a bit over, uh, overstepping. Yeah, I mean, you, yeah, you, as a consumer, yeah, you, wanna, you have to take into consideration everything you're getting. But when they uh, got uh, Jorge Masvidal to agree to this fight, they, you know, at pretty much added four hundred thousand new uh, viewers to to this event. You know that and that people were just gonna watch to see Jorge Masvidal because they know that he is a very electric fighter, very exciting to watch. And you you if you knew anything, if you if you you know read any headlines or did any did any research on your own, you would realize that these guys are you know struggling to even make weight they're struggling to uh you know get ready for this fight you know they're halfway across the world in abu dhabi fighting at 9 a.m in the morning you know they they are there's a lot of odds stacked against both of them and so they there's with all that you know they're they're gonna just go back to their their roots and and uh what what their uh their strengths are and kamar uzman had the upper hand in that because he, he's able to just lock up with you, take you down to the ground, and, and hold you there, hold you up against the fence. You know, that, that's where he thrives, and, and Jorge Masvidal is at a disadvantage. And so that's why we saw the result. But I guarantee you, when we see this fight again, and Jorge Masvidal is asking for this, an immediate rematch, when this happens again, this is going to be an amazing fight. This is going to be exciting. But with, if these two have a full camp to, to get to know each other and they just spent 25 minutes in the ring together, so they already have a good idea, Jorge Masvidal has been thinking of all different scenarios of how he could have uh, done better, and I'm sure Kamaro's doing, doing the same. These two are going to be extremely prepared for each other, and I expect to finish, you know, an early finish in the next fight. I think it's going to be a jam-packed 10 minutes of fighting, uh, that's going to end in either a knockout or a submission, but you're going to get your money's worth in the next in the next fight. I can guarantee you that. Yeah, I think Masvidal. I mean, like you said, he's he's a, an incredibly electric fighter. He's somebody that people know and understand that they're going to get their money's worth when they when they pay to watch him fight. Um, 
I think Usman was a big unknown for the casual fan coming into all of this, right? Most people haven't paid attention to Kamaru Usman coming into this, you know. Um, and I can speak from experience is that, uh, you know, when when you don't know exactly what you're getting, um, it can it can obviously be a letdown because you, you expected something from Masvidal and you didn't get it. Well, it's hard to say that you didn't get it because he only had six days to prepare. Usman only had... A, eight days to prepare knowing that he was going to have a fight still that they were working on either Masvidal or I think there was somebody else that was in play at the time. Um, so th- there were, there were still negotiations. Both of them had to lose weight to make weight. Um, yeah, I mean, I told you yesterday that, uh, you know, that, that I, I talked about this last week where, you know, once Kamaru Usman learned that Gilbert Burns tested positive for COVID, he went out to a buffet and ate a bunch of food. He put on eight pounds in one night. Like, that's ridiculous. <laughs> now, I know, a, you know there, there's a lot of water weight there, but still, how much food are you consuming that you put on eight pounds in a single meal? That's just ridiculous. Hey, man, that, that, you know, some of these some of these fighters, they know how to eat. They probably learned from Tim the Tap Man or something like that. <laughs> but I, honestly, when, when you think about it, um, you know, both of them they were a little caught off guard because Gilbert Burns is not Jorge Masvidal. They're, di- they're different fighters. They have different tactics. They're, they're just different people. When you're in the, when you're in the octagon with somebody and you were expecting somebody else, just physically looking at somebody else can, can already, you know, be a mind fuck for you. So at this point you need to truly understand that like, all right, now I have to go with what I know is going to get the job done. And Usman who, who had, been in camp he was more physically prepared for this for this fight to happen more than Jorge Masvidal was um at this point you know he he just stuck with what he knew I think if like you said if we get a rematch of this and we should um Jorge Masvidal is blowing up our Twitter timeline right now asking for uh not asking for demanding an immediate rematch um I I think that at this point we are going to uh we'll, we'll see a much better fight moving forward Oh, 100%. And this is this is something that's going to take a while. You know, Gilbert Burns clearly deserves to to get the next fight. He he was right in line to get this one. Um, so it's only right that that he gets it. Uh, he, he gets the next shot. But right after that, Jorge Masvidal is knocking on the door. And in the interim, there is talks that we might get Jorge Masvidal versus Conor McGregor, which would be unreal. Just Oh my God! I think that would be great, but Masvidal. It seems like he's pretty set on wanting to go go back after Usman. I don't know if he's willing to accept anything less than that at this point. Well, we are. You know, he he just got a huge uh, new contract with the UFC. I can't imagine how many casual fans would tune in to see these two fight. You know, they said four hundred thousand people. You know, bought the pay per view just to watch Masvidal. There's millions that will watch the fight to watch, you know, watch Conor McGregor, and you put the two together. I'll, I'll pay two hundred dollars to watch that fight. Like you know, just name a price, I'll pay it That's because right. I want to see that happen. Um, yeah, I, I, that would be an incredible fight, and I'd love to see something like that. I I love watching you know McGregor fight, and I I love you know I like you like we both said, 
Uh, Masvidal is very electric in, in the octagon, and I think that would provide for some extremely good content. I mean, Connor took no damage in his last fight with Cowboy Cerrone. I mean, he just took, I mean, his shoulder and that was... took most of the damage with uh, <laughs> Cerrone's face on it. But other than that, it, it was pretty simple, and I, I think they'd they'd both be ready to go. It would just be a matter of time, uh, or, or a matter of uh, Masvidal waning on his demand for a, an immediate rematch with Usman to take on such, such a fight like that. And I, if that were to happen, I see that happening somewhere at, toward the end of the year, maybe a December or January fight. I think, I think that if, no matter what, that's where Masvidal will be fighting next, is somewhere in that area. The, yeah, I mean, just <coughs> simply put, the UFC needs to put this together. This has to happen. The thought is already in our heads, and now we want to see it. For sure. So let's 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 do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that was everything that we saw from Fight Island. It was incredible. Uh, Nick talked about the Calvin Cater Dan Ige fight that's going to be happening tomorrow night. We're talking about Wednesday, July fifteenth. Nick, tell tell everybody where they can see this fight. You can watch this fight on ESPN Plus. Uh, it's a free fight. Fight nights are always free. So as long as you have ESPN Plus, it costs four ninety nine. If you don't have it. Use the free trial. This is the fight you're going to want to watch because Dan Ige is an up-and-comer. Calvin Cater is part of the New England Mafia. He is an absolute brawler. If you want to you know, get hyped up for his fight, watch his fight versus Jeremy Stevens. That was an amazing fight. Yeah, you, you won't be disappointed. Uh, it, it's 15 minutes of absolute domination or absolute war. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that'll hype you up, and, and this one, I guarantee, is going to deliver. Perfect. Um, we'll be looking forward to that, and uh, we might be able to uh, talk about that next week. Uh, but I, I do want to switch topics at this point. Uh, I want to move forward, and um, one thing that uh, has recently come to light is that Rajon Rondo broke his thumb uh, for the Los Angeles Lakers in, in practice. So... Uh, the Lakers are now down both of their starting guards. Avery Bradley uh, chose not to participate in the restart, and now Rajon Rondo is out with the broken thumb, looking at possibly coming back during the conference uh, series um, should the Lakers make it that far at this point. Um, do you think that the Lakers are still viewed as co-favorites with the Clippers to come out of the West? Yeah, I mean, it's... it's uh, I don't know anymore. You know, it, you lost Avery Bradley, and you added J.R. Smith. All right, you're still, it's still you know, down. You're, Avery Bradley is better than, than J.R. Smith. You're losing a huge defensive weapon. But now you lose your facilitator, and one of the best point guard facilitators in the sport, you know, in, in the NBA, you know, he, he works perfectly with AD and LeBron. And I don't know who's going to be able to fill his shoes you know, they're, what, 15, 16 days away from restarting the NBA. Uh, that's not a lot of time. I don't know if there's any but any free agents that they can go after that are similar to Rondo uh, or what they're going to do if they're just going to ride with what they have. Um, I would say the, the, the this, Nets took most of the free agents because half their team oh, yeah. isn't coming <laughs> back to play. So, yeah. I mean, the, the Lakers are kind of screwed in that sense, but continue. Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely think that the Clippers are now getting getting the edge on them. Uh, it's it's going to be tough for the Lakers to to do much now that the the one two are gone. 
now I'm not I'm not counting him out, not even in the slightest, because it's LeBron and Anthony Davis. As long as those two are there, they're going to have a shot. Right. LeBron, you know, we saw what LeBron did, you know, with the with the Cavaliers. You know, he he single handedly brought a championship home to Cleveland. I think Kyrie uh, and, Irving had something to do with that, but continue. Uh, yeah, but you know, Anthony Davis is also there. You know, I I don't think they're going to have too many issues. Uh, getting to the the conference finals, I still think it's going to be Clippers Clippers Lakers conference finals. Uh, so, I I don't think there's any change in there, but I, it's definitely going to be a little bit harder for the Lakers to come away uh, and, and move on to the finals without uh, Rajon Rondo and Avery Bradley. Yeah, I mean the the Lakers they sit at the one seed right now. Um, but that you have teams like the Clippers, the Nuggets, the Jazz, the Thunder, the Rockets. I mean, all these teams are coming back healthy. And, uh, I, I mean, besides Russell Westbrook, who uh, has, I think, is in quarantine at this point. Um, but at, at, I believe um, the biggest issue with the, with the Lakers going into this season this restart everything was the fact that they didn't have the depth at, that a team like the Clippers did and at this point that depth is starting to wane uh, the lack of depth is starting to show because they don't have anybody to replace Rondo they had to go out and sign J.R. Smith to replace Avery Bradley uh, you're going to focus on LeBron James and Anthony Davis to really hold up their end of the deal, but now they're going to have to do it on both ends of the court. I mean, Rondo was a great facilitator, but he's a, he was also an incredible defender. I mean, he was just a nuisance for your team, and, and now you don't have that, that guy on your team. Uh, it, it's going to be a struggle. Um, I think the Lakers yeah. are, are missing a huge piece at this point, and uh, I, don't, I actually don't see them making it uh, out of the West if Rajon Rondo doesn't come back until the conference uh to the conference playoffs because at that point uh, I don't think that they have the the strength and the and the the uh depth to be able to contend with some of these other teams that that truly have everything put together um you know you look at the the Utah Jazz and you know you have uh, you know Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell and and those boys out out in Utah and um the Chris Paul and the Thunder uh, doing their thing. Um, uh, you know, obviously, Westbrook and Harden in Houston. There, there, there's a lot of different ways that uh, the Lakers could find themselves out of it. And you know, not to say that Rajon Rondo was this major breaking point for for the Lakers, but when you're chipping away at the possible depth that they have and the possible uh, players they can throw out on the court, I just don't understand where they're going to start getting these pieces that are going to be able to contend with the likes of of what other teams can throw out there at, at the one and two spot. Yeah, it, it's definitely going to be tough. And uh, I had the Lakers bucks in, in the finals. Uh, I I may be more inclined. I will want to see how the Lakers do at the beginning of the, the restart uh, to get a feel for them. But I may be leaning more towards uh, the Clippers being able to get past them in in the in the conference finals, and uh, you know the it's gonna it's gonna be a true challenge for for LeBron now. It's it, the the road to uh, the finals is much harder, and you know I'm I'm still kind of pulling for the Lakers a little bit in the back of my mind because you know I would love to see 
the the Lakers win it, you know, do it for Kobe, and uh, I, I still have that sentiment. But a, a, the the there's a huge challenge um, in front of them, and it's going to be uh, a hard one to overcome. For sure. You know, and when you're talking about the Clippers, they still have their guys, um, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George. Um, Patrick Beverly. Pa- yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, Patrick Beverly is the Rajon Rondo equivalent. Um, mm-hmm. And the Clippers have their guy and the Lakers don't. That could end up becoming the the, the major issue that they have to overcome. But uh, we'll, we'll see at that, at that point where things are and uh, how things are going. But right now it's not looking great for the Lakers. And there's a couple other teams that um, – are starting to get a little worried about their depth and, and players who aren't playing. Um, but it should be exciting. I'm looking forward to the, the restart. It's right around the corner, just a couple weeks away at this point, and uh, I'm very excited to be able to uh, start to start moving forward with the NBA season. Um, it should be noted, uh, just as a side note, uh, there was a report that came out today that the uh, – somebody had been snitching on NBA players that were breaking out of the quarantine, if you will, that were, you know, they were walking around outside and uh, somebody was making calls. And uh, a lot of players have anonymously come out and said they believe it to be Chris Paul at this point. So I'm wondering if, A, that's the case, but B, if that's going to lead to some backlash against Chris Paul and the, the Thunder and what, what that means for, for everybody moving forward. So we'll see. Uh, that, that's going to be a storyline for everybody to start watching, but it's very interesting moving, fo- moving forward with the next couple of weeks before we get started again. Um, all right, so I, I think that's going to wrap it up for the NBA. Um, there was some pretty big news that happened over the weekend, and uh, big as in significancy, not as uh, breaking. And that would be that the uh, Washington Redskins will no longer be referred to as the Redskins, which they have been since uh, 1932. Um, So owner Daniel Snyder has said that they're uh, changing their name in accordance with the, you know, the sentiment that has gone on throughout the, the year and to, you know, be a little more respectful of the native Americans and, uh, you know, uh, basically, you know, they've been calling for this for years and wh- where our country is and where society is at this point. Daniel Snyder has caved in on his stance and will be renaming the team. Now, that that's the news. Here's the fun part. Now we get to decide what the team name is. So, Nick, I want to hear from you first. What do you believe that the, the Redskins should now become? What do you think the new name is? So I heard this name a few days ago, and it's definitely stuck in my head. And and I think I would love to see this, the Washington Red Wolves, and I can just picture it when they are scoring touchdowns, everybody's howling, oh, you know that would be just awesome. I would love to be in Washington at at the FedEx Stadium or whatever it's called, just there, you know, in that celebration because that would be an electric atmosphere. You know, everybody has their thing. You know, you've got the chant in uh, in in Minnesota. You've got the skull. You've got the the beating of the drum in um, and the chant in Kansas City. You know, everybody's got their thing, and I think that would be so cool to watch. I think that's something that would uh, would be a lot of fun in, in Washington, and um, I, that's the one uh, the name that I've I've been looking forward to, and I I could definitely get behind. Yeah. Um... 
I, I like that. I, I actually haven't heard of that one before, but I, I like that you talked about, um, you know, howling if they score a touchdown. I, I don't think they'd be doing much howling down in Washington with the team <laughs> that they're they're throwing out there. But um, j- in all seriousness, I, I think the Red Wolves would be an incredible name. I think they would liven up the, the naming a little bit. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm tired of the same old, same old. But um, if I were to go with something, I, I believe that uh, – the Washington Senators just sounds right. Um, it, it plays on, you know, uh, the fact that obviously D.C. is home to, you know, America's politicians and, um, you know, the Senators are right there in D.C. Also, the fact that, uh, you know, the Senators can can represent so many different things uh, as in as far as society goes. And uh, the NHL has uh, a Senators as well. Uh, so. I think I think the Senators works on multiple levels, but uh, it's not as exciting as the Red Wolves. That's for sure. I, I just think it's it's very fitting. It doesn't uh, it doesn't you know there, there's no divide with that name. Nobody's ever going to get upset with the Senators. I think it's I think it's the safe play, if you will. Yeah, and uh, I, I I'm curious to see how how they're going to do this. I see names every day of what this could be. They're are endless possibilities of what this could be. And I, I think they're going to continue to use their burgundy or maroon and gold uh, colors. I don't, I don't know what, exactly what they are. So I think they're going to keep that color scheme. And so I think they need to find something to fit that. I've seen a lot of people come up with nicknames that start with red. So red, red something, red tails, red wolves. You know, I, I, it's, I think it might be something of that sort um, to fit the color scheme. Uh, but it, it's going to be pretty interesting. And I wonder if they're just going to choose a name or if they want it to have some type of a background to it, some type of a story that, that fits it, why they chose that name. It's just not random. Uh, something to give them uh, a history uh, before they even start using it. I mean, knowing Daniel Snyder, I'm sure they'll be called the Washington Snyders at some point. So, uh, um, <laughs> I mean. I'm sure he's floated that idea. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, we'll see. It's, it's very interesting. It's a, it's a cool story to watch. Um, I've been, a have been somebody who said that the, the Redskins should change their name, uh, for years now. I, I just, you know, just the way the country was going and the, the fact that, you know, the Redskins, um, has kind of, it, you know, it, it has a negative connotation to it. And I think at this point, you know, that's where, uh, you know, I think that's where I draw the line right there. But um, one thing that we need to watch out for, and I, I truly uh, am saddened by this, but people are starting to call out that the Kansas City Chiefs need to think about changing their name, that the Dallas Cowboys need to start thinking about changing their name. Um, and the, and they've, they've started to list off a, a lot of different teams. Somebody even suggested that the New York Yankees start thinking about renaming their team uh, because it brings us back to a time where the country was divided. I think that we need to kind of slow ourselves a little bit on the renaming. We had to look at this one specific instance, which was basically a racial slur toward Native Americans and, and isolate this incident as this is a one team thing. You know, Native Americans do not find the chiefs racist. They do not find that 
to be any sort of uh, negative connotation toward their people. Um, in fact, a lot of, <laughs> from what I've seen in interviews, Native Americans actually like that because they think that's more playing homage to them, especially being from the Midwest in Kansas City. That's where a lot of tribes were. That That's what it is. It's paying homage to the Native American tribes out there. Um, so so I, I think that we need to kind of slow our roll when we're talking about renaming multiple teams. Uh, but we'll, we'll see how this one goes, and uh, I'm excited to to move forward with the with the Washington franchise and hopefully Nike will put them back in their stores. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I think this is the last bit of news we had. Uh, we had a couple signings uh, that happened just today. The Chiefs signed uh, defensive tackle Chris Jones, um, pro bowler. Uh, they just signed him to a four-year $85 million deal to get him off the franchise tag with $60 million guaranteed. Uh, this money... I mean, essentially, they locked up their star defensive player after locking up Mahomes. They're using the flexibility that Mahomes gave them because he spread out his money over 12 years. They're using that flexibility to um, basically say that we're, we're going to try to keep the core players uh, intact at this point. And so uh, I'll be interested to see um, how this works. Uh, I know we gave our assessment on Patrick Mahomes' contract last week. Uh, that we don't expect him to live out the, the full extent of the contract. I think it's very interesting that Chris Jones' contract is only four years, which is what what I projected Mahomes' contract to be, uh, even though it only takes place, it starts to take place in two years from now. So I think they're gonna they're gonna ride out Chris Jones, and then they're gonna, after this contract, uh, he might be hit free agency at that point, depending on his uh, his output. But what'd you think of the Chris Jones news, Nick? Yeah, I think this was pretty inevitable. Uh, once we got the conclusion of Patrick Mahomes, that was behind us. Now they could focus, the Chiefs could focus all their attention on Chris Jones. He was, and like you, you brought up, you know, he he was talking with Le'Veon Bell on, hey, how do, how do I handle this situation? And Le'Veon was like, hold out, don't give in. And, and that's exactly what he was doing. He was ready to sit out as long as he had to to get what he thought he was due. And that's exactly, uh, you know, it, it worked out in his favor. The Chiefs, uh, you know, you know, they gave, they caved in to what he wanted. And he got a bigger deal than I thought he would have gotten. I think the contract was a little rich for my blood. Uh, Chris Jones is an amazing defensive end. But is he Cleo Mack? No, he's not. He's, he's not, he is not giving that, uh, that output that I would want to, that, what is that, $21.5 million a year on average? That's a lot of money. That's, you know, you're paying... His base salary uh, is 20 per year. He's got $5 million in total incentives. And uh, there was there was uh, a couple other things put in there, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the numbers, I haven't actually uh, make it, uh, taken a deep dive into the numbers yet. Um, but I, I just don't think he's a, a top three uh, defensive end in the, in the NFL. I don't think that he's worth that money. Uh, and you know, he, he, maybe he'll prove it. Uh, but you know, I, I just don't, I don't see it. Uh, I think that was a little rich. I think he could, um, they could have worked out a better deal, but I think they just wanted to make sure that they have all their pieces that no one's holding out, that they could just, uh, move on with their, their training camp, their, their mini camps, what, uh, whatever's going on right now. Uh, so that they could, they could, uh, start working towards another championship, uh, next season for sure. And uh, it looks like the Browns are closing in 
on another deal. Uh, this one with uh, Pro Bowl defensive end Miles Garrett. Uh, as long as he doesn't swing his helmet at more quarterbacks' heads, <laughs> uh, he will receive uh. five years, $125 million, uh, this, this per Adam Schefter. Um, a steep price to pay, but Miles Garrett, a top five defensive end in the league, in my opinion. Uh, Nick, what are your thoughts on on this deal possibly going through? Now, I understand paying Miles Garrett because he is a top five defensive end in the league, mm-hmm. but twenty five million dollars on average a year—that is crazy. That is what Tom Brady is getting paid this year. That is what. Drew Brees is getting paid this year. You know, that that is just ridiculous. Now now we're getting back into quarterback money for defensive ends. And I, I know they're the second uh, most valuable position in the sport. But, man, that is just crazy. What happens if Chase Young is as dominant as we think he's going to be? Is he getting $30 million a year at the end of his contract? I mean, you possibly. Know, I, I, it, it lo- I mean, you have to take into account where the salary cap's going to be at that point in time. So it's very possible that Chase Young might be the first $30 million a year defensive end. But we still, I mean, you look at the defensive end market, you still have players like Jadavion Clowney and Everson Griffin still out on the open market. So, I mean, the, the defensive end market, while, while it's, you know, these guys are getting paid. The the fact remains that some of them, you know, even though they, they have the output of, of great players, that, you know, they have a, a short shelf life and teams aren't willing to uh, pay top dollar all the time. Uh, the Houston Texans were willing to trade him on, on their franchise tag. The Seahawks aren't willing to give Clowney exactly what he wanted. They moved on from him, signed, uh, signed other people. Um you know, this is a, a sign that, you know, as rich as these deals are, it does, it's not going to last forever and it's not for everyone as well. So only that it looks like only the top players are getting the top dollar and everybody else is going to have to fight for the rest. Yeah. It's kind it's interesting, uh, especially with the cap <coughs> going up uh, to, to see what happens, but Chris Jones and miles Garrett getting these, uh, these new contracts back to back like this, uh, it, it's setting the stage for all all these young defensive ends, and uh, I, you know, if I was a, a youngster and I was uh, getting into the sport, I'd want to play defensive end because you're not going to get hit as the uh, as a quarterback, uh, and you uh, you know you get to do the hitting, you get to chase down the quarterback, which I think is a lot more fun, uh, and you know you're getting paid just about the same amount of money, so. You know, congrats to to both these guys. Uh, I I really I I think the Miles Garrett deal will go through. You know, I, I this is uh, it, it's good. I I think the the contract for Miles Garrett might be a little bit long. Five years, anything can happen in five years. He'll probably be thirty years old by the time that done uh, that deal is uh, done. But I'm sure he'll he'll live up to it. Miles Garrett, if you look at him, he is uh, an absolute freak. Um, scary guy. Uh, I'd be intimidated by him. I'm sure a lot of defensive, uh, offensive tackles are, and that's why he does so well. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it, it, you know, once you pay him, I'm sure he'll he'll uh, he'll he'll show up for uh, for you, for sure. And uh, just one more bit of NFL news: uh, Jason Peters resigned with the Philadelphia Eagles today. 
Uh, they signed him not to play tackle, which is what he played most of his career or all of his career, but to play guard to replace the injured uh, Brandon Brooks, who tore his Achilles earlier in the offseason, will not be able to play the rest of the season or, or at all this season. Um, it, an interesting move, bringing back the, the known veteran f- back onto the Eagles. Uh, Nick, what did you think about uh, Jason Peters signing with the Eagles? That, that doesn't make any sense to me. You're, you're taking a guy who's played 10-plus years at one position and put, putting him at a completely different position, and, and, to, and you know, you want him to fill in for a pro bowler. You know, that uh, you're not going to – he's – Jason Peters struggled to stay healthy last season, and, and, you know, you want him to go fill in at a brand-new position. Playing right guard is not playing left tackle. It's it's very different technique. It's different stance. It's uh, it, The footwork is completely different. Right. You know, I, I just don't – I don't see this working out. I, I don't know – unless Jason Peters showed them something that – uh, you know they they are excited about that they think will work. I don't understand this at all. This doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it's it's an interesting move for sure. Um, the Eagles, I think they're in a bit of a bind. Um, I know that they have tried to contact the Patriots about a trade for Joe Tooney in in the recent uh, months. Uh, I, I'm assuming nothing came out of that conversation. Uh, based on the move that they made today to replace Brooks with uh, Jason Peters. So it'll be interesting. Uh, I thought Jason Peters would hold out a little bit because if there's an injury in camp or, um, you know, in the preseason or something along those lines, I I feel like he could have filled in nicely. That leaves the top remaining offensive tackle is DeMar Dotson, uh, who was a right tackle his entire career. Um, so we'll be interested to see uh, exactly how that's going to, uh, you know, make uh, make its way throughout the rest of the off season and going into the regular season. But uh, I believe that's all we have for this week's episode. That was the uh, the last bit of news that we had. Um, we appreciate all you guys li- coming out to listen. Make sure to uh, like and subscribe. Make sure to. Uh, like the video if you liked what uh, all the artwork that Nick did for, for us. Uh, it looks incredible. He spent a lot of time working on it. So show him some love. Put some, uh, throw a like on it. And uh, we will see you next week. Take care, guys.